Welcome, coaches, to Keep Your Pads Down, the podcast for you defensive line coaches out there. Wherever you are, however you're listening to us, thank you for checking us out on what is episode number 73 of our podcast here. August has been a great month for KYPD so far. Our audience is growing by the week. We had a great response to last week's episode, episode number 72, with McKinney High School D-line coach Trey Bryant. So if you haven't checked out his episode yet, you should definitely do so. Uh, Anyway, we were on pace to have our best month ever as far as downloads go since we started this podcast back in March of 2019. And that is due in large part to all of you who continue to tune in each week. You tell your friends about us. So thank you for listening. Also, we obviously wouldn't be where we are as a podcast without our outstanding guests who come on each week and share their knowledge and wisdom with us. So thanks to those guys who have come on and those guys who are coming on in the future because this show would not be possible without them. Now, before we get to today's guest, we're going to roll out with the second installment of a segment that I call the KYPD Book Club. And this is where I share with you guys a book that I recently read. You know, I love to read and I'm usually always reading something. I just finished up a book this past week. Um, You know, now that football season is back and school, we're back in school, my reading does slow down some. But uh, like I said, I just finished a great book that I think you guys definitely need to check out. Uh, The book is called Flags of Our Fathers by James Bradley. Now, uh, this book has been out since 2000, so it's, it's been around for a while. Not a new book by any means, but a, a friend recommended it to me at the beginning of the summer, and, and so I picked it up and read it, and, and wow, it shed some light on a part of World War II and, and its aftermath that I really knew little about, despite having a grandfather who has actually been on this, a guest on this podcast before, uh, despite having a grandfather who saw action in World War II. Anyway, this book centers around the uh, iconic photograph of the six men who raised the American flag on top of Mount uh, Suribachi during the Battle of Iwo Jima. Uh, you've no doubt seen that photograph, but if you're like I was at the beginning or before I read this book, you know little about the, the context of the photograph, the men in the photograph, the circumstances surrounding it. Uh, well, this book, written by actually one of the sons of the men in the photograph, tells the story of the horrific battle. Uh, of Iwo Jima through the perspective of six flag raisers, three of whom died uh, on Iwo Jima. Uh, and, and reading this book in, in the wake of everything going on in our world right now really put our current problems in perspective. You know, as you read just about the, the unspeakable atrocities that these men endured in order to secure our freedom and the unrelenting grip that these events held on the small number of men who survived Iwo Jima and were able to come back uh, and live their lives here uh, in, in the United States. You know, for me, this book just redefined what I think of the word hero, which is a word that we can sometimes throw around pretty carelessly, especially in the world of sports. Uh, So this book served as a sobering reminder of just the high price that was paid so that I can enjoy the freedoms that I have today. So the book is called Flags of Our Fathers. Go check it out. I don't think you'll be able to put it down once you get started. You can check out the show notes of today's episode for an Amazon link to the book, but I highly, highly recommend it. All right, so let's get to today's guest. I'm honored to be joined by a coach who logged over 40 years as a college defensive line coach before retiring this past January. Today, we are talking with Coach Rick Petrie. Coach Petrie got his start as a graduate assistant at Pittsburgh State and then went on to make stops at Arkansas State. Uh, He had two stints at Ole Miss, one under Coach Billy Brewer and then later under Coach David Cutcliffe. Uh, Two separate stints at Louisiana Tech, which is where he actually ended his career this past January. Two stints at the University of Miami under Coach Dennis Erickson and Butch Davis during his first tenure, and then later 
under Coach Randy Shannon, a stop at the University of South Carolina, and then the University of Kentucky and then Duke University. So a uh, coach is well-traveled, has a ton of great experiences. And during his career, Coach was a part of two teams who played for a national championship, the first being the 1986 Arkansas State team who lost to Georgia Southern in the national championship. And then the second was when Coach was at Miami the first time when the Canes lost to Nebraska uh, in, that, in that iconic game there in the Orange Bowl. Coach Petrie was also privileged to coach and groom six first-round draft choices, including Warren Sapp at Miami and John Abraham at South Carolina, along with many other talented elite players. So Coach's work and career speak for himself, and I'm excited for you to hear from him today. So let's get to it. Here is Coach Rick Petrie on episode number 73 of KYPD. Coach Petrie, it is an honor to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for being a part of our show here and, and stopping by to talk with us. Well, I appreciate you asking me to visit and spend some time. It's been a while since I've really had a chance to talk about football, so I'm kind of looking forward to it. We're going we're gonna to jump in this and just talk about you know your career as a coach and some of the things that you learned and experienced uh, throughout your career. You just recently retired from, from coaching football, uh, wrapping up a career that spanned over four decades. Uh, which included some stops at you know some big time places where you got to be around a, a ton of great coaches and and, and coach some just generational type players and we're, and we're going to talk about that but first let's talk about this when did your love for the game of football begin and and how did you become a coach in the first place well I I, I took a long road I guess you could say because I I was originally an engineer and I worked as an engineer for fifteen months and um, then. Uh, Throughout that time, I was, you know, just had that nagging feeling. This isn't what I wanted to do, but I, I knew I had to try because it was, it was a lot of hard work to get my engineering degree, and, uh, and obviously the money was lucrative at that time as well. So, you know, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. So I, I went to a small Division two school in Missouri, where I'm from. At that time, it was called University of Missouri at Rolla. And now it's called Missouri Science and Technology. But um, like I said, I got an engineering degree, fought my way through that, worked 15 months as an engineer. And then one of the coaches I played for at, um, at Rolla was, his name was Chuck Brawls, and he played at Pittsburgh State University in Kansas. And he, he, I talked to him and, and Joe Keaton, who was another assistant coach, two guys that I have a lot of respect for. And uh, they helped me get a, a graduate assistantship at Pittsburgh, Kansas. And um, now it was a little bit different then. You know, I was a PA in the PE department. Yeah. Not in, and uh, it was at, at that time, Pittsburgh State was NAI, not NCAA. They had three full time coaches. I went there, I was trying to get my master's in physical education with emphasis in exercise phys and stuff. But uh, I had that engineering degree, so I had a bunch of undergraduate deficiency. So I was teaching a class being in the PE department. I was the D-line coach by myself, uh, and I had 15 hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so I was busy. I was single at that time, 
for the first year. Then I got married, so I had more time on my hand at that time, though. But it was it was fun. It was a challenge, but you know, I I jumped right in it. I had to run my own room, run my own drills. There was, like I said, three full time coaches, two on offense, one on defense. So I was involved in everything: game plan, scouting, um, recruiting, you know, player evaluation, you name it. You know. You mentioned, you know, you're, you're you're working as an engineer. That's what you've kind of geared all of your 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 time as as a as a student uh, towards being. And now, now you finally have that. But you, you you said that that you know you felt like there was a nagging there, kind of drawing you back to football. What was it about the game of football that that brought you back? That made you want to become uh, a coach and be a part of that? You know, I don't know. You know, because not only did I do that, but I walked on. You know, I I went to school to be an engineer. It was kind of ironic because my my dad he you know he never graduated from high school and you know worked his way through served in two wars um, and when I got out of high school he said son it's time for you to quit playing games and um, so I went to school but I you know I wanted to play ball so I ended up walking on earned earned some scholarship help and just just I, it was just something I enjoyed doing I had. College coaches that, that really, we worked hard. I mean, they were. it was a different world back then. You know, you couldn't do now even half of what was, you know, what you felt was at that time. But um, it was, you know, you knew that they cared for you, and, and you know, you just developed a passion for the game. And, and if you're around people that are good coaches and good with players and good mentors, you know, it just kind of gives you that, that fire that you want to do that. You mentioned that there was a coach that you coached for that 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 you went to work for. Who were some guys just along the way, whether it be in high school or college, that that kind of influenced you as a young man, um, and 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 molded and shaped you into the coach that you wound up becoming. No doubt, I think the most influential coach I worked for was uh, Larry Lacewell, and I worked for him for ten years. And that was at Arkansas State. I don't know if you're familiar with that name or not. Yep. Yep. But he uh, he was um, a defensive coordinator at Oklahoma before he didn't, went to Arkansas State. And um, I went there as a volunteer. I was there as a volunteer for one semester. Then he, um, you know, on his back then it was called part time, you know, and I worked, I was the assistant offensive line coach for one year. And then he hired me. But, um, we didn't always have all the resources, all the money, but we still worked. He expected you to work, study. He always drove you. You know, he made you really study the game, appreciate the game. He developed the work ethic. I mean, I, I tell young coaches and I tell players some of the hours that we work, and, you know, they you know they can't imagine that kind of workload. You know, but that was a different world you had you had real to real, you know. You had you had sixteen millimeter film. You practiced. You got done with practice. They, you know, you didn't get as much film, but they had to take the film to get it developed. So you had to wait for that to get developed, you know. So you met until that came, and then you watched film, and you know. So it was a totally different world. It wasn't near as instant as everything is now. Yeah. You know, so it did take a lot of time, but you know, he, you know, he always pushed you to study the game, you know, and. You know, he was he was really 
at times, you know, he pushed you and you, you thought, well, you know, good, you know, you were thinking. <laughs> but, you know, it was always, you go back and you look at it, and, and I, you know, and I just think, thank God that I worked for him. And I, you know, I tell young coaches that I've been around, I said, you got to, you got to respect the game and you have to learn to study the game. You know, and I think that's one thing that young coaches may not do as much as they, they should. And you've got so many more resources. You know, you have so much film, so much you can put your hands on. You know, I see stuff. I look at Twitter, and when I repost stuff, it's mostly about pass rush or this or that or this guy. You know, and, and it's so much you can learn out there. you got, you know, you can put your hands in, on almost any NFL film if you're in college and study. You know, I, I can remember, and I'm rambling here, I know. and But I can remember when I was at Arkansas State, and this was back in the old VHS that, you know, you had to set, you had to schedule them. You know, I'd call my wife and say, would you please tape, you know, back it was tape, you know, yeah. the, this NFL game. And when everyone go to sleep or whenever I had time, I'd sit there and I'd watch it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, and study how, not just what they were doing, but how they were doing it. You know, not what you're, you're being told, they're being, you know, that but what they're exactly doing, you know, how a successful player does things, you know, and then try to look at look at it and rationalize it and analyze it. And again, that comes back to my engineering background. And, you know, then, you know, I just was always, you know, Coach Lewis taught me to, to study the game, you know, be a student. And, um, you know, I think that's important. Do you remember who it was specifically that you that you studied, whether it was a team or it was a, a college program or maybe even a coach that you studied and learned a lot from as a young coach kind of growing up and learning the game? Oh, I had multiple coaches, you know, that I learned from. You know, I, I think that, and the game has changed so much, you know, techniques, style-wise. You know, one guy that I, I know you don't know this name, but, you know, I already told you Larry Lightfall, you know, he's, he, he molded me in so many, so many different directions, you know, as far as evaluation and when you're in recruiting, you know, and, and then and then also evaluation of opponents. So you, you probably never this name and you'll probably look it up later and you'll, you'll say, who is this guy? But his name was Dick Mojolesti. And um, he played and he, he died two years ago, I believe it was. Um, he played in the NFL from 53 to 66. And um, then he coached, he was a scout for one year, then he coached from 68 to 89. And I got to know him, and I went, when he was the defensive coordinator at Green Bay Packers, and um, <clears throat> I went up and spent, like, two different camps a period of time. And back then, there was Forrest Rick was the head coach, and I had unbelievable access. And, and I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot from a guy named George Wheeler. Uh, who was at, when I spent time with him, he was at Mizzou, but um, he, um, then he went to the USFL, the New Jersey Generals. Um, people more contemporary would be, you know, I met with Pete Jenkins when he was at OSU and I was Arkansas State before I went to Ole Miss the first time in, in 1988. Um, Rod Marinelli, I'm sure you're familiar with that name. Oh, yeah. Jim Washburn, the other name. Um, of course, I talked to you know guys like Ed Orgeron and people you know that are contemporary people, just talking and exchanging ideas and stuff. But uh, 
<clears throat> you know, back when it first started, football was played, wasn't played with your hands and stuff like you played now. You know, when I first started coaching, it was with forearms, you know, and, and yeah. you, taught, you taught that. And, and then <clears throat> with baseball, we went from more of a three down, you know, it was called tackles, nose guards, you know, two D tackles and a nose, and you had two, two defensive ends with the outside linebackers and then two inside, two linebackers or inside guys. But then you went to the four down, and then you went from near stepping and doing all that stuff, and, or he stepping, or however you want to call it, and then um, going to an attack style. And that's, you know, I, I studied. He was. Jenkins was really more of a two-gap guy, you know, was a react-attack guy. And um, then I went when I went to Green Bay Packers, um, <clears throat> Dick Moseleski was doing it from up on the line of scrimmage and doing it with his hands and his hips. And then went with George Wheeler, and he was started teaching attack style, you know, ball key, and he was doing a four-point stance with all very low staggers and doing all his work with hands and hips. And so I just developed and started looking at things, and, you know, and we, we always, you know, was willing to make changes when I was Arkansas State. So that was, that was always a good lab, you know, to work on things. It sounds like what you're saying, you know, if you were to, you know, talk to a young defensive line coach, it would be to, you know, learn everything you can and study those guys that, who've been doing it a lot longer than you have develop how you want to teach things and have that, you know, have that in place, but also understand that, you know, throughout the years, you are going to tinker with things and change things as, you know, uh, the game changes. You know, I can look back on just on my, my short coaching career and see that I'm coaching some things differently than I, you know, that I was 10 or 12 years ago than I am today, but just continues, you know, we should be in a, in a, in a mode where we're continuously learning and, and tweaking what we're doing. Yeah, the game has always changed, you know. It used to be, you know, 21 personal games, you know. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, started getting some 12s. And, you know, it was really 21 and, and, and 22, you know. And then, um, you know, now you started seeing a spread set. But then another thing when I was at Arkansas State for eight years, we were in the wishbone, you know. And, you know, then the flex bone, if you want to call it, you know. But, um uh, you know, so I was fortunate to be to have a very strong option background in my in my coaching career. You know, every every spring ball went against the wishbone. So back then it was twenty days, and uh, <clears throat> so you had to learn to to defend that, and you know, and the different things that happened there. And then, you know, then option football kind of went away for a while. And then, to me, when when it started coming back again, was when people start bringing safeties and dropping them in the box, you know, start loading the box. And then all of a sudden, quarterback running game was that unaccounted for player again, you know. So, you know, then the option game started coming back. And, and, and you could call it spread. A lot of people said it was spread, you know, but it was, you know, you motion a guy in, all of a sudden you're, you're running option-type blocks. You know I mean? Right. Even, wish, even wishbone loaded stuff, you know, so. But if you went somewhere and said, I'm going to run the wishbone or flex bone, you might not get that job. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. You can, you can run the spread. Run, That's run right. Basically about the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm not going to make you recount your, your entire uh, 
coaching career and all the stops that you made. I'm going to run through them really fast here because I want to ask you a question about these. But you mentioned, you know, being a GA at, at Pittsburgh State, you know, Arkansas State, Ole Miss the first time with Coach Brewer, uh, Louisiana Tech the first time, University of Miami uh, there from 93 to 95 with Coach uh, Erickson and Coach Davis. And that's, um, you know, when you guys uh, lost to Nebraska for the national championship. And then you moved on to South Carolina for, for a few years. Uh, and then to back to Ole Miss with Coach Cutcliffe, uh, then University of Kentucky, back to University of Miami, Duke with Coach Cutcliffe again, Louisiana Tech with Coach, uh, with Coach Holtz there to wrap up your career. So looking back over that extensive career, you said you know, in, our, in our talks but leading up to this conversation that, that spanned 43 years. Just talk about some highlights from that career. Some, some, you, you mentioned coaches, maybe some games or programs or players that you got to be around. Uh, just some highlights from, from your time as a D-line coach. Highlights game-wise, you know, played for the national championship at Arkansas State. Unfortunately, did not win it. You mentioned earlier about the, um, the play for the national championship against Nebraska when I was, we were at Miami. Did not win it twice during career. We were involved with defenses that were number one in total defense in the nation. You know, once at Arkansas State, once at Miami. Um, uh, played in 23 bowls. Uh, played um, in four, one double A's. I think, you know, I guess it's FCS now. You know, playoffs, including the one for national championship. Um, I don't know how many. I've had six first-round draft choices. You know, I, I think two twos. I don't know how many threes. I've, you know, a lot of players that have had all conference or, you know, played in the NFL and still have some in the NFL. And, you know, been, been part of some some big surprise wins. I remember Kentucky beating LSU the year they won national championship in, uh, in overtime in Lexington. I mean, that was a huge win. Uh, and beating Florida State in 94 in the Orange Bowl. There was nothing any more electric than being in the old Orange Bowl. You know, when it's that situation. Um, <clears throat> 17 years in the SEC, there's been, you know, big wins, big upsets, you know, um, playing in some of the best venues in college football, if not the, you know. So yeah. I've been blessed there. But, you know, been been around a lot of great kids. I mean, the, the players, you know, you'll remember that when you're, when you're done, you'll remember the players that you coached. I mean, I... Um, my wife and I had an anniversary the other day, and I can't tell you how many comments we got, you know, from players on Facebook alone, you know. Right. I mean, it was well in the hundreds, you know, and, and uh, you know, so those things, you know, the wins are big, you know, and obviously you enjoy that stuff. But uh, I think your interaction with the players and the relationship you have with the players and realizing that maybe you might have helped some of these young men you know, as they grow. And, you know, that, that's what I think the most important thing and the biggest thing in, in this profession. No doubt, Coach. And, and your players is what I, that's, that's what I want to ask you about next. And this, is, uh, this can be a little bit of a tough question, but, but a, a fun one also. So if you were to put together an all-star four-down front uh, from all of, made up of just guys that you coached over the years, who's going on that front? Who's, who, who are you starting for? Do I have to leave it to four? Or can I have some add-ons? Yeah, there? you can have some backups, maybe, or, or some add-ons there. But let's let let's talk. You know, two DNs and a, maybe a three tech and a nose. 
just do two tackles. Okay, or there you go. go. There you go. Well, Warren Sapp, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. He's got to be on. Yeah, I had a, I assumed that he would be on there for sure. Yeah. He definitely would be on there. Um, <laughs> Vernon Butler, I would say, would have to be on there. Okay. Vernon uh, Butler from Louisiana Tech. Right. Who's now with the Bills. Right. Um, if, um, God, I mean, I also, you know, when you look at inside guys, I mean, Corey Peters is still playing. Uh, um, uh, Kendrick Clancy was a played a long time in the league. Um, Pat Riley was on that. If you just look at the '94 defensive line, we had Pat Riley, who was a second round draft choice and may have been a first round draft choice if he went to Torres ACL in the pit game. You had Warren Staff, you had Kenny Holmes, and you had Kennard Lane. And there were three number ones and a number two on there. Yeah, you know, so I mean, just that that group alone, you know, was amazing. And then there was another young man on there that front. His name was Marvin Davis. Was unbelievably I mean, like an ever ever ready bunny. You know, he was six one, he was undersized, maybe maybe two seventy five, two eighty, but played sideline to sideline. Had bad shoulders and played through it. But, you know, he was amazing. You know, so you had Pat Riley in there. Then there was a the guy <clears throat> the first time I was at the old mess his name was Kelvin Pritchett. You probably never heard of him. He was a first-round draft choice and played, I don't know, I think maybe 14 years in the league in the defensive tackle position. So, so I mean, there's, there's for sure Warren and, and Vernon, I would think. Okay. Now, defense, <clears throat> then those other guys definitely, you know, deserve mention. Yeah. Um, defensive end, I'd have to say John Abraham. You know, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with oh, his yeah. name. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If I, if I remember my stats right, I believe he's 13th in the in NFL in sacks. And um, <clears throat> he, um, God, I can't remember. I think he's got over 130 sacks in his career. You know, after that, I mean, it gets, you know, it could be Ken, like I said, Kenny Holmes, or it could be Kennard Lang. Or how can you not say Galen Ferguson, who's, who set the record in the NCAA for sacks? Right. You know? Right. You know? So it's hard to say. You know. You know. I guess Kenny was more finesse. Galen was was a different. Jalen was more more of what I would say the modern guy that played up and played down. You know, which yeah. I think is very very prevalent in today's game with all the stuff that the your edge defensive linemen have to see and have to react to. It's easier for them to see that. But, um, you know, I mean, if you got another guy, Olivier Vernon, you could talk about him in there, you know. Um, I mean, I, there's just <clears throat> so I, I hate, you know, I'm, I'll probably forget Alan Daly is another guy who's still playing in the league. It's, it's unbelievable. But I think definitely John. You know, and then it'd be Galen or Kenny, you know? I yeah. Think. Yeah. Well, I, I know I'm putting you in a tough spot there. It really an impossible uh, situation because you got just so many good guys. And I really just wanted to ask that just to highlight the, the talent that, that, that came across, you know, your, uh, your, your uh, basically line of sight as a coach over the years. I want to talk about, you mentioned them already, but that defensive front there at Miami, you know, you're coaching at Miami when it is the U. Uh, and, and, and all that went with that. And you talked about all those guys, you know, again, uh, Warren Sapp, Kenny Holmes, Kennard Lang, 
um, uh, Pat Riley. So when you're coaching those guys, you have those guys in your room. I'm sure that it's it's easy to be just awestruck maybe by the, just the, the sheer talent that you have around you. What was it like coaching those guys? Pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that because they were driven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, I, I, there was a lot of pride factor <clears throat> being a defensive lineman at the University of Miami. You look at the history of the school and how many of those guys have left and gone on, you know, and they were either All-Americans or drafted or first-round draft coaches or whatever. I mean, we didn't talk about Darren Klein, who's All-American, Kevin Patrick. You know, those are other guys. Rusty McGarris, I had him around for a little, I don't know if you remember any of those names, you know, but, you know, there was a lot of guys that, you know, that that had been around that program and helped develop, you know, yeah. the history program. Um, Warren was probably... <clears throat> the first year I had Warren, he was hurt some. Struggled with, with an ankle. And his last year, he was the year he won the Lombardi. I mean, he was just unbelievably in shape, you know, and so sudden and stuff. But he would practice. And, and you had Casey Jones was the center at that time at Miami. And he was a, he was mad. And, you know, he practiced. You know, really hard. All the line, you know, if you're practicing against people that are practicing really hard, you got to practice hard or you're going to get embarrassed. Right. And then you listen to it. You know what I mean by that? Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Not from the coaches, but from right. the, you know, that are, they would be their biggest, you know, critics at times, you know, as far yeah. as pushing each other. And there were standards that you had to meet those standards. That was something that they had set well before I got there, you know. If, and then even when I came back, it was still there. If, if that second time, if you couldn't run, you didn't, you know, back 16-110 test and all that stuff, if someone was dying, you know, and not running hard and not, you know, meeting their time, they they told them to get off the dang field and go on the other field and run. They wouldn't let them run with them. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it was the player drive there. You know, there there was a tradition there. They wanted to, they wanted to win. You know, they, they didn't want to win. Back then, it was the Big East. You know, they just got into Big East. They weren't interested in winning Big East. They were interested in winning national championships. You know, and what became hard is if you lost to Florida State or in five third the way through the season and they didn't feel like they were going to win that national championship, then it got hard, you know, because there was such that letdown, that disappointment. Yeah. But, um, they were all driven. I mean, they, were, they wanted to be good. And, you know, anyone, anyone that wants to be good, once they believe it, you know, what you're teaching them, you know, they, they're going to, they're going to be interested in, in trying to figure out if, you, if what you teach them helps them and they see it helps them become a better player, they're going to be all in. Yeah. Um, when I first got there the year before at Louisiana Tech, we played, we were damn good at, pardon my language, I'm sorry, we were damn good at Louisiana Tech on defense that year. And um, we played Alabama and we held them under, I believe it was under 200 yards total offense. And that was your Alabama just beat the stew out of out of Miami and Sugar Bowl, I believe it was, when they won the national championship. Mm-hmm. When uh, I think Gene Scully was the head coach. Yeah. Well, I came after that, and you know, someone said, "Well, I don't want you to change how we're doing this or this." And I said, "Well, how many yards did you give up to Alabama?" <laughs> and, and so all of a sudden, they said, "Well, maybe this guy might know what he's talking about." Yeah. So, yeah. 
And, you know, and you can't go in as egotistical, and I'm not egotistical at all. And, and, but you go in and you teach, and you, you got to win them over, you know. And when they see that it's going to help them, then they're going to be all in. What are some things that you do specifically to win guys over whenever you got to a new school? Oh, I don't know. I, I can't think of anything. Just be yourself. You know, I don't know. I'm a, if you talk to anyone about me, I don't think they're going to say that I'm a screamer, yeller, berater. I'm more. I'm a teacher. I'm a technique guy. I think that goes back to being when I was an engineer. You know, that's how I was trained. I was trained to be systematic. You know, you take all that math, 25 hours of math and science, and you know, so you learn to. to and steps, and um, I think that I that's the approach I took teaching, um, and as opposed to, you know, I'm not going to come up there and scream and holler at them and berate them, and you know, and belittle them. You know, the only thing that I would ever scream about is effort. You know, uh, everyone has the, the ability to practice hard or play hard. You know. You may not be as good as the other player, but you can get that. But, you know, but I've never, ever sat in a class and was belittled or berated and learned anything, you know. Yeah. So that's what I try to teach. Individual, I expect that I had high standards. I can live up to those standards. I was very demanding as far as the little things, um, <clears throat> footwork-wise, how they did things, band placement, this, that, you know, and I, and I would just, and, and, and I, I have, I guess, a harder head than some of them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I would, I would just be persistent and just keep it up, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. We go and watch film. I, you know, we talk, we teach, we try to learn. Watch film. What are you doing wrong? Watch your feet. Where are your hands? Where are your eyes? What, what are you doing with your eyes? What are you looking at? You got to have eye discipline, you know. Those kind of things, you know. Where you, where you pre-snap, you know. Um, you know all those kind of things that you're talking to the players about, and then. And just like I said, teach them little things and build and build and go from there. And once they see that they're getting better, then you got you want you got them, you know, they're they're furious now. Yeah, right, right. Well, talk about your coaching progression for your defensive line back when you were coaching. How did you first develop? You know that progression has you modified or changed over the years. But you know when you're starting out coaching. You know, what, what are you beginning with? What skills are you focusing on? What was your coaching progression like there? I'd always start with something footwork-wise. You know, I I believe in getting out and free practice and doing things. I don't like wasting time. I think everything starts with a stance. you got to have a good sound stance. If you're not in a good stance, you know, you've got problems. You know, and I, I'm, I'm kind of, I was very picky about stance, and we work on it, we work on it, we work on it, make sure they're balanced. Make sure the weight distribution is good because you know the, you know I didn't, I I'm a big believer in hand speed, hand quickness. I don't think you can load hands and get and, and get them out in front of your face, you know. And so it was always being a good balanced stance where you got your weight distributed evenly, so you get you can leave a you can go a hand fifth speed. You, can, you know you can do the things that I was trying to get taught. So you work with start with stance and you go to steps, and you got to do you know blow delivery, which involves you know, a non-combative to begin with, you know, you know, it could be six points, it could be sleds, it could be on, on bodies, whatever, whatever you, you, you think you need at that time, you know, and that's one thing as, a, as you went on, 
you know, when you get older in coaching, if you continue to study, you know, you would you have different ways you attack things, you know, to work on how you're going to get hands. But then, you, you know, then you got to, I would go to sled and you hit the sled, you know, then, then you're going one-on-one against a defensive lineman. You go team against the lineman. And it's still, it, it, you're, you're building up and you're combative, but you're not, you're still, it's not competitive win-loss. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. when you're against the offensive line, and then you go, then you, you hopefully get to do some scheme work against your offensive line, you know, or then build it up into your inside run drills. I, I, I'm an old D-line coach. I love inside run or middle drill, whatever you want oh, to yeah. call it. Yeah. <clears throat> Even if you're running, the first time I was at Tech, we had a drill. We go outside, inside, outside, you know, where you had, you know, the inside with the two deep tackles and one side on the outside was the end and the outside backer. We were four three at that time. The middle was two tackles and the middle backer and the other one was the other end and the outside backer. And, you know, you just divide it up so you get your steam. I like half line, you know, anything because half line reduces some of the bangs, you know, reduces some of the injury situations, you know. So, but I think you, you progress like that. I mean, you go back and then you start with with a pass. You start building your way up on pass rush too. Well, walk us through your pass rush, just kind of progression, how you work through that. Well, I usually start on cans, trash cans, you know, and, you know, and work on footwork, corner step, flip and hip, hands behind her back, exaggerate on her hip flip. Then we'd work on <clears throat> a different, you know, a stutter mover, javelin, and a bite move, you know, and, you know, just two things against two cans, you know, and then, and, but that was usually done in pre-practice. <clears throat> and then, I, you know, we try to run hoops after, you know, that would be after break. That'd be one thing we could do. That could be running a hoop or it could be <clears throat> doing a hoop with a bag, yeah. you know, and, and a, with a strip, you know, trying to tie that in. Then you go to two bags, then I'd go to, you know, three bags or four bags, and, you know. And just I just try to you know four corners I do four corners I do one bag with a, with an agility bag to make them you know get a good step and get a good flip so then get their 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 back foot you know through their hips not pivot you know and not yep. back to yep. through their hips and uh, and you know just you know, then you got the your, your arm block, you know, what you're doing with your arm block, you know, and just use one of the, I don't know what you call it, you know, the sled with the arms on it. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. I try yep. something, it's more and more and more of that, you know, try to do something progression-wise with working arm blocks every every practice, you know, have it in there somewhere, you know, so I don't know, you know, again, it's just where are you, what do you think you need to get done? You know, if you're not flipping your hips good, make them get over the agility back on the one bag. You know, then we put it at an angle. We make them come in, stutter their feet over the bag where they get a wider base, and then they work on either a corner or a county. You know, if you're doing your corner, we get your shoulder reduction. You know, if you work, work your combination swims, the rip swims, you know, all that. You know, so I'm talking fast and covering a lot of ground here, but, you know, it's, you got, you, you got to have a progression. Yeah, you know, no doubt. You know, 
bands would be the first progression. That'd be the work just on the hips and stuff. And then <clears throat> then you go to the one bag. If you need to do it with agility, you do it with agility. You mix in the two bags, you know. I like the four corners because there's a little more conditioning involved, you know. So, you know, or the four inline bags, you know. Sometimes I use three, you know, and I'll, I do a drill called flip flip. I used to do it where it's, you're working in different, <clears throat> where they're closer, where you're working in a closer, you know, where it could be corner corner, could be corner counter, could be counter corner, you know, and just things to make them move their feet, move the hands. Put them in bad situations. Understand that you don't have to be in perfect position to get it done if you understand, you know, the fundamentals and the techniques involved. Close bags, I do. Close bags a little different than a lot of people do, you know, because I'm still emphasizing, I was still emphasizing hips and hips and hips, you know, or some people, you know, stay a little square with doing that. But, you know, so it's just adjusting your philosophy and, and using some. Sometimes you just use good old-fashioned common sense. Yeah, Yeah, you're right, Coach. No doubt. And I think the important thing there and maybe the takeaway there is um, is that everything that you do has to be a part of your progression. Like, it has to fit in somewhere. You know, there are a lot of great drills, a lot of things, a lot of great stuff that you can do on a day-to-day basis as a defensive line coach. But I think, you know, when you're looking at your stuff and how you're dividing up your individual, it all has to fit into that, that, that progression uh, that system that you have in place uh, so that there's some, you know, things built on top of each other and you're not just kind of teaching things at random and just kind of going here and there uh, so that those guys can build on these, on those skills. Is that, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think you got to have, you got to have building blocks. You know, you got to teach a fundamental, you got to build off of it and give them, and then you give them more and more weapons. Yeah. You know, and then I also had a drill where you did rush for the, what I called rush for the day. And I would teach them different moves, you know, because you got to, you know, you have to have a move and you have to have a counter, you know, and if you, you, different players are going to like different moves. You know, someone may like a long arm. Someone may not like a long arm. You know, someone, you know, <clears throat> may like what I call a jab away or, you know, in out in or, you know, whatever, you know, some stutter moves, whatever your terminology is. But you give them, you give them this, this, arsenal of weapons and then you keep you keep working them all the time but then they decide what they like the best you know and then that's what they you know develop you know but um it's got to be it's got to be a systematic approach because you know because you coach position defense is reaction and the only way you can develop that is by doing it you know yeah. Yeah. It has to get react, react, react. Coach Weissel told me a long time ago. I can remember just like you almost yesterday. He was up in the tower because he was he was with Bear Bryant too at one time. So he was up in the tower and I was a young coach and I'm sitting and I'm I'm coaching the heck out of him. I'm talking. And next thing I hear is over this loudspeaker, Coach Petrie, are you gonna talk him into playing or are you gonna let him play? <laughs> <laughs> I learned right then is few words, a lot of rest. And that's one thing that young coaches need to learn. You know, like I, I, when I have a GA, the GA coach, I tell them what I want. Or we go over it, we work on it. And I tell them, but, but that's one I, I keep, my, I watch them. And, and, and invariably, just like me, when I was young, 
I wanted to talk to them. And, you know, so you have to say, rep, rep, rep. Because defense is gas. It's not, it's not just assignment. You know, it's react. You have to, you have to practice. Yeah. You know, you have to do it. Yeah. Yeah, you're, that is correct. You're, you're stepping on my toes now, Coach, because I know I can be guilty of that uh, for sure. Uh, you know, talking too much in practice and, and you know, instead of just, just letting those guys get reps and coach off the tape later, you know, when, uh, when, when, once practice is done. So you, you're talking about, you talked about pass rush there and you went through a lot of things there. Uh, what, how did your pass rush, the instruction or the teaching of it vary between your outside guys and your inside guys, so your defensive ends and your tackles? I think, you know, inside guys, I always taught them, you know, you're, you're working in squares and your footwork is reduced. I think that's the hardest thing for if you get into stuff packages and your outside guys move inside, you know, I think that's the biggest thing they got to understand is that unless you really allow them to expand a free technique or something like that, you know, that their footwork gets a little, it gets, it gets startened, you know. And it's got to be short, quick steps. Every step, you know, not that you're going to be standing in place. Every step has to be going to the quarterback, you know, but you got to start your footwork down. Um, whereas in your outside guys, I always started with a landmark. You know, I wanted to make sure <clears throat> I could work three feet outside the offensive tackle foot. Our landmark was we're saying was four yards behind the outside foot of the offensive tackle. Right. And I wanted, I wanted to make his entry angle looked the same as much as he could on almost all his pass rush. Does, does that make sense? Yes. You understand what I'm uh-huh. yeah. So I want him heading to that landmark, and I want him to be very step conscious, you know, as far as how many. But drive off, keep a good pass, and, you know, make if it's a counter move, if, you know, if you're biting him or if you're stuttering him, if you're long arm. You know, if you're going to do it, even if you're going to do a button jerk, you know, anything, or you're doing a dent and hoop, whatever, make it where they can't tell the difference. And then also tie that in with, with when you start doing your delay pass rush game. You know, you want, you want the entry angles to look the same. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to give it away by your alignment or give it away by what you're doing or give it, give it away by your, your get off, et cetera, you know? So, yeah. But that's—I mean—that's the main thing I really try to emphasize with the outside guys is, is feet off the ball. You know, eat free grass. I'm sure you've heard that before. Right? Eat free grass. No, I haven't. I like that though. I know exactly what you mean. You know, so you want to eat free grass. Want to? You want to get up and field. You want to get out. You know, and try to make things look the same. Yeah. Have great path. You know. <clears throat> You know, the players are with you, you know, simplistic things where they don't understand is, you know, you, you know, I'm sure you've shown them your guys one arm longer than two arms. Yes. You know, and, you know, so, and body lean, all of a sudden your arms get longer too. Right. You know, so, you know, that it, it sounds like a really stupid stuff, but, you know, a lot of times they, they, they look at you like, I never thought of that, you know? Right. And. You know, and that's not even talking about free stance, but I'm trying to understand, especially inside, you know. But so if your outside guys know it too, where's the back? How much, <clears throat> how many times is the center sliding to the back, away from the back? 
you know, um, inside we tried to read the slides, you know, is what I tried to teach them, you know, and, and then that comes into play with the, with the outside rushers, too, if they understand that they're getting slides, you know, what the counter situation is, where you, even with a three technique, you could end up, you know, coming inside if the three rushes read the correct position. You follow me? Yeah, yes, yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, try to teach them all those things, and, you know. And, you know, and I know you teach your guys pre-snap, you know, as far as where their eyes, you know, what their, how far they're off the ball, and, you know, look at their feet at the tackle. Everything is so, you know, with the tackles now up, you got to look at their feet more. Right. You know, especially their outside foot, and, you know, doing that kind of, you know, so. But <clears throat> Bill, Bill, you know, like I had it, and I don't have it in front of me, obviously, but I had, like, a list of moves for the outside guys. And list the moves for the inside guys, and then like we usually did, lot most of those refined moves in rush of the day drill. You know when we had it set up with the four bags, you know tackles was back, you know four yards, and you know the the, the offensive guards were just a yard off, and you know, and then just work on different moves, and I check off, make sure I was getting these moves. Yeah, you know, make, yeah, get, you know, so. And everyone, you know, has different terminology for them. You know, I I try to read. I watch some of this stuff now, and I, you know, I see the Hesse, and I don't know what all that is. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. javelins, and you know, bite goes, and you know, that's what I I kind of remember. But, uh, do you ever? Uh, this is we're, we're kind of getting off topic here, but say, do you ever get the itch to get back into coaching? I, I miss it a lot. Yeah, I miss a lot with the interaction with the players, you know, and some of the guys still, you know, contact me. I try not. I just talk about how they're doing if they're working hard. I don't. I don't want to get into anyone else's business. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. But I talk to the guys that are in the, in the league, and and um, you know, I I miss it. You know, if my wife is listening to me, she's going to be mad. <laughs> But um, I do miss coaching. I, yeah. I don't. I I mean, and I'll be honest with you. Dan, it, it wasn't the game for a long time. I wanted to win because I wanted to win for the players. Yeah. You know, and the bowl games was you know exciting to see them win. You know, and and know how nice it is to win the last game. I mean, I mean, my wife and I we've been to twenty three bowls. You know, so. You know that we've been in a lot of those banquets, you know? right? <laughs> you right. know, but to see how excited the players are after the win, you know, that's what that's what's exciting. The week, the preparation, the, the scouting your opponent, and the coaching on the field, teaching, and that you know, teaching them their craft. That's what I really enjoyed about I don't know how many years. You know, towards the end, you know, the end of my career. Yeah, that's what I enjoy. Yeah, I, I think that everybody, when they look at a coach, you know, they just kind of think about they, they they sort of reduce what we do to you know two or three hours on a Friday night or a Saturday or or a Sunday, whatever it is. Um, but you know, when you ask a coach, though, the Friday night is such a small, small, minute aspect of why we do what we do. Uh, you're right. I mean, I was, you know, the other day we're, we're running a, um, 
you know, a tempo drill where it's up, you know, it's, it's just like what it, what it's, what, what it sounds like. It's, uh, the offense is running a lot of plays at us. We're getting back to the line and, and, and I was just thinking, man, this is so much fun. I mean, this is, this is what, um, this is what it's all about right here. You know, no one's in the stands. It's just us running plays. And, um, that's, you know, that's where, where, you know, I, I get the juice from, I guess, just that, just to- coaching those guys up and, and being around those kids and watching them, you know, put into to practice things that you've taught them. And, and I, you can definitely relate to that and, and just, you know, that aspect of coaching. And that's really what, what hooks you as a coach for sure is just those, that day, those day-to-day interactions with your kids. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, and so many times when you get in the college level, you know, they come to you and they're, they're the star, you know, and then all of a sudden you're breaking their game down. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I was very analytical. So, you know, a lot of times I, I probably really, players may have gotten, you know, you know, holy cow, can I ever get this right? You know, you know, so maybe, you know, I was too hard on them that way. But then usually after about three years, they go, thanks, you know. Right. Then they see it, you know, they get it. And, um, but uh, that's working with players. And, you know, like I said, the individual, I mean, we got the team periods. I would sit there mostly, I mean, just watch them, you know. And when they came off, I, I corrected for something, you know, and I'd slap for them and stuff, you know. But I, we're not there. I'm not going to yell and scream at unless they're not hustling, if they're not hustling. But, you know, you, you get to those situations, they got to be able to play ball. Yeah. They got to shift. And then you, then you correct them on film. And then you, you you correct them in the individual, and you say, go get it again. Don't hold yourself back, you know. And then, you know, you just keep doing those corrections. You keep going over it and going over it and going over it. And you got to have <clears throat> consistency in what you're doing and what you're teaching. And and uh, the closer you are to the ball, you know, Coach, you got uh, the time you got to react is much, much less, so you got to make it easier. Yeah. You can't have a bunch of things for them. Teach them, teach them fundamentals, you know, that apply. Doesn't matter if you're two eyes, four eyes, three, five, you know, whatever you're doing. You may teach four eye difference in the five technique, but, you know, relate that to another position. And, you know, then you're teaching the seven the same as the four eye, you know, so, you know, so your shade the same as your three. Eyes may have to be a little different. You may have to see a little bit different, but, you know, Try to keep it as simple as you can, and let them play. Let them play physical because I mean you got to be a little bit different breed of cat to play defensive line. No doubt. You know, you're, no doubt. Your line front of three hundred pounders, and and if you're if you're a good player, you're not going to be singled. You know you're going to be doubled or you're going to be schemed. That's right. You know, and um, you know if you're having six hundred pounds of feet of, of of men beating on you, and you know that's that's your pride to beat it. And, you know it's your challenge, and you know it, it's it's not easy. I think it's the most physically demanding position on in football. You know, and I I believe that wholeheartedly. And you know I preach that to the to the players too. If you're a defensive lineman, you're special. You know you're a special dude, and it takes more work. You got to work harder. You got to have more focus than anyone else on the field if you're going to be good. Looking back now over your career, would you say that that you know from the the time you got into coaching to the time you got out, did the kids change much? 
uh, or, or, or did you find them being, you know, pretty much the same, you know, throughout your career? Uh, I think kids have changed some. <clears throat> like I said before, I think kids want to get be good. So if they trust you, they're going to be willing to learn and do whatever you ask them to do. I think they're a little more sensitive now. <laughs> yeah. You know, so when you when you push them and you you know and you're critical of them, they you know they may get may get their feelings hurt. You know, I had a one that just turned three years old, three years old, and he had. You know, get that lip out, you know. Yeah. You know, um, so I think that's a little bit different, but I still think they have a lot of pride and they want to be good. You know, I I, I don't, you know, it's just, the game's different. You know, it's it's faster now. I think it's in that aspect, I think it's harder for them on defense. Uh, you know, it's not... It's a little bit harder to get as many of the pre-snaps unless you're really disciplined and experienced as you'd like to get. You know, so I think that makes it a little bit harder. But I still think when I was a kid, I didn't have air conditioning. I was in seventh grade, you know. So, you know, and you're out there in that heat like like you're talking about it. And, you know, that's hard. Yeah. I mean, that's, it got real hard on me. Yeah. When I got 60s, I mean, it got real hard, you know, so... But um, it, you got to, I think it makes it tough. And I think that's why football players are so unique. You know, you're not in air conditioning. Right. You're out there and it's tough and it's, it's, it's not easy and demanding. And, but it's also the greatest team game that they can play. No doubt, Coach. Well, let, let's talk about this. Uh, can, can you give us some of your best or your maybe your most interesting stories from from your coaching career, just stories that stick out, like we talk about, you know, your days at Miami with those guys, you know, being at Ole Miss with with, with Eli Manning, uh, coaching against some legendary players. You know, I know for, for me, a game that I saw uh, was was you know your guys' game um, versus Texas A and M, where where A and M came all the way back with with, with Johnny Manziel at quarterback. Uh, just are, what are some of your most interesting stories that you that you remember when you look back on your career? Well, you bring that one up, and, and I think the one play where he escaped the sack. Yeah. When we thought at him, uh, I thought, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen anything like that before, you know, and, um, you know, that in itself was just exciting. I mentioned earlier, you know, you're talking about exciting games. You know, I mentioned the, uh, the 94 game against uh, Florida State and the Orange Bowl. Um, it was a home game, you know, in the stadium, going full stadium. But, uh, you know, I mean, my wife telling me how it, 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 oh, the old stadium was after, was moving. Yeah. Um, how crazy and wild it was. Um, we got to play against Tracy Ham and Georgia Southern in the national championship game. It wasn't maybe fun to watch, but he, he was an amazing player to get to watch him. Um, I mean, that was amazing. Um, I, I told you about the overtime win with Kentucky against LSU the year they won, and one of the years they won the national championship. That game in itself was, was amazing. Um, so many locker rooms, you know, when you see the players so excited and, you know, the joy. I, I lived through the Kentucky Mullins. Situation, yeah. do you know? Yep. Or, you know, that was a 
still bothersome today. You know, when I think about it, um, you know, uh, I can remember John Abraham getting hurt against Vanderbilt and getting hit back and laying on there. I was in the box and I thought that uh, I was going to have to live through another one of those. Yeah. Mullins thing. Right, right. I mean, those are things that you, you think about. Um, mostly I just think about players, you know. Think about how how I've enjoyed them. Having them over to the house to eat, you know. Um, seeing them interact, you know, with each other. And how kids come together on the team. From so many different, you know, backgrounds, socioeconomics, you know, um, races, um, just how great, you know, the, the game is bring people together and the bond that, you know, you you develop and have forever, you know. Yeah. So those are the things I think of a lot, you know, games that, you know, like I said, I've been blessed. I mean, I've um, been associated with some, you know, some big games. Yeah, yeah. The thing only that I regret is I never got to finish in that, the national championship game and in the Orange Bowl against Nebraska and and, uh, and that one against Georgia Southern. You know, still would like to have had one. You know, it was sweet and Miami. You know, being part of setting the consecutive home victories, but it wasn't sweet. And the fact that I was there, we lost. You know, to Washington and in the district. You know, so. right. Those, those are things that, you know, when you have that many years, it, I mean, I, I have relationships still. I got, with our anniversary, I told you how many contacts I, I had players from Pittsburgh State that hit me, you know. Wow. So, um, so that, you know, that's been fun. Players getting a hold of me and saying, Coach, recruit my son. You know, <laughs> you know, that's, that's an honor, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, so those kind of things make it all worth it. Yeah, Coach, no doubt. And 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 I think you know, looking at your career, Coach, we would all be lucky uh, to to have uh, a career like yours. You know, and, and the wins and and the and the programs, all that stuff aside, but the impact, the obvious impact that you've had on your players is something that we we should all aspire to as football coaches for sure. Well, Coach, great stuff today. We're going to get you out here on this. We're going to uh, we're going to enter into our rapid fire segment here, and I'm going to throw a, a couple of words at you. Some have to do a football and defensive line play. Some not so much. And and you tell me what you prefer. So you ready to do this? I'll see how fast I am. Okay. All right. And then I say rapid fire, and I guess that's kind of deceiving. So we we, we do. It's not necessarily uh, based on speed, but but because we do some. I do like to camp out on some of these and talk about them, but. We'll roll through these these first ones pretty quick. All right, Coach, here you go. Uh, which do you prefer as a defensive line coach, a head-up nose or a shade? Shade, that's easy. Okay. You mentioned being <laughs> in the press box when, when John Abraham got injured. Uh, so in your in your time as a D-line coach, did you prefer to be on the sideline or the press box? In both, but uh, I think I probably preferred, if I had a good graduate assistant, in the box. Okay, all right. I would imagine that comes from being that engineering background and sort of that cerebral part of you wants to be able to see what's going on. Is that is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. You know, okay. And, and 
be able to make changes and adjustments. Right. Okay. What would you rather play on, grass or turf? Uh, I'd rather play on good grass. It's going to be muddy or if it's not good grass, then I'd rather be on field turf. I kind of thought you might go with grass and, and, and just being a, uh, and a, you know, an older school guy and, and, and coaching in the SEC where they do have a ton of great grass fields there. Uh, yeah, I do. It's hard to beat a nice grass field, one that's taken, you know, it's, it's really well taken care of. There's nothing prettier than a, than a good grass. Field. Oh, you're, you're exactly right. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So when you were coaching, uh, your pregame routine, did that involve music or no music for you? I like music. Okay. Well, what was on the Coach Petrie playlist, if you don't mind me asking, the game day playlist there? Well, I guess I would say rock, I guess. Okay. Know. All right. Did you ever get any your, your your players turned on to your music, or did you just kind of leave that you know, leave that alone? They, what they like now, and I'm not in it. <laughs> I don't know what most of that is. Yeah, yeah. You know, and sometimes I lean a little country, but mostly rock. I got you. Okay. All right. All right. Well, speaking of of pregame routines and things like that, are you were you superstitious about your pregame routine or not so much? I was when I was younger, but I got to where it was not so much. <laughs> what were some superstitions that you had as a young coach? I never used thirteen. I never used thirteen. Yeah. Okay. Beat stuff like that. I always it was twelve plus one. I got I you. Never used. So when uh, you're you're writing utensil of choice, this one this is one I'll, I like to ask because this is kind of a big one for me. Uh, were you a pen or a pencil coach? Which one did you I prefer a, to use? I am a pencil coach, and that goes back to engineering. So you have to, you pen. have to tell me what that is. Pencil pencil. Okay. And it was, it was usually point seven millimeter. You know that's what I use. I use all the time. So, so with your engineering background, are you are you like uh, drawing up X's and O's on graph paper? Uh, no, no. no okay. I got the word. Honestly, I I got the word. I was pretty good with Visio and 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 that. So yeah. But uh, I I that's a story in itself because when I was getting an engineering degree, I we had to take Fortran. I don't know if you know what that is. But it was a computer language and. This was a this was a long time ago, so I mean, so you carry cards around, you know, yeah. get a stack of cards, and um, I, I I hated it, didn't understand it, and um, went forever. I didn't want anything to do with a computer until Alia was. Where was I at? I was at Miami or South Carolina? I was at South Carolina. And I visited down in uh, Tampa with Rod Marinelli two years in a row. Yeah. And uh, got into using PowerPoint. Taught, and I taught myself PowerPoint. And then I taught myself Visio when the people started going to that just because it made it easier. Yeah. Made, you know, I got tired of using those little templates to draw on their stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, that kind of runs me into my next question. Okay. So when you're drawing up run cards for your inside period or maybe a team period, uh, did you prefer to do it with you know by hand, hand drawn cards or digital? Computer, you mean? Yes, or, or by a computer. Uh, well, I, I prefer computer. Okay, all right. And I'm sure that's something you had a GA do, right? You probably didn't draw many cards later on in your career. Well, we drew a lot of them the last year, but um, then we did them by hand. But some of it was already done. Some of it yeah. was. 
like the formation and all that was done digitally. But yeah. then we and we had a system where one coach put on the the front and coverage, and then you know, like I drew the plays and blocked yeah. it. And, yeah, you know. Okay. Now you mentioned so, you mentioned different personnel groupings that you that you know that they used to see when you were first starting coaching, and how that kind of changed later on in your career. So. Uh, what is your least favorite personnel grouping to face? Like 22, well, 21 personnel or 10 personnel? Which would you rather not see? Do you have to do with those? Yeah. Either, okay. yeah, yeah. Well, or you can throw another. You can throw a wild card in there. Card in there. What you got? 12. Okay. 12. Yeah. Yeah. You know, two tight ends. It can become a lot of different things. Right? Yeah. You're exactly you know, right. Be an eight. You could be a you know, fullback. You you're exactly right. Could be off. It could end up with a YY look, you know. So there's a lot of things you could end up with. There. No or doubt, it could force balance up. Another engineering question for you: What is what was tougher, your upper level engineering course or defending the flex bone? <laughs> Differential <laughs> equation. <laughs> yeah. Equation. Yeah. Oh, the flex bones. Like I said, I had an advantage that for eight years we went against wishbone every every spring and then fall so you know i had a little more of an understanding of it yeah some but you know um i would say calculus and differential equations yeah i'm right there with you i can't even spell those words much less make sense of it of any of it okay last question coach we'll get you out here on this one all right here here's the scenario okay you got these two guys under the chute they're about to go head to head against each other and I want you to tell me who you, who you're putting your money on to win this matchup. You got on one side, you got Warren Sapp. And on the other side, you have Aaron Donald for the Rams. Who who are you rolling with? Oh, Lord. well, I mean, I, I have to go with Warren Sapp. I I was fortunate enough to be with him for two years, so I'd have to go with Warren. Now I teed you up for that one because I knew you. I knew that's who you would say. But talk a little bit about what you know, just. I'm sure you've seen. I know you've seen Aaron Donald and, and what in his game a little bit. What what have you noticed about his game that's so impressive? I think that he is difference maker. Obviously, I think he is a total different person playing in there than maybe anyone else in the league. Yeah, you know, uh, he's got the speed and and the quickness and the strength and the power and, and you know, I think he's. I don't know what the right word for it is. I mean, he just... He, yeah, he's a freak. He's a, he's a generational guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? He, yeah, no doubt. Just, no doubt. They just don't very often, and, and he's that. And what also is different, obviously has great genetics, but he also has unbelievable work ethic. Yeah, yeah. It's a 12-month-a-year deal for him. Yeah, know? yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, Coach Petrie, thank you so much. Again, for stopping by and talking with us today, great stuff. Just an outstanding career that you have had as a coach. And again, I know that the impact that you've had on your players is 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 one that is long lasting for those guys. And and so, just appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us today, and 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 for uh, for talking with us. I appreciate you having me, Coach Taylor. I wish you the best. If I can help, you got my number. You know, give me a call. I always love talking football. Really appreciate Coach Petrie for coming on to talk with us today. I, I love talking with guys who have been at it for a while and, and, and get their perspective on things. You know, I, I think it's always interesting 
Uh, if you go back and listen to our episode with Coach Ruff and McNeil, for example, another guy who's been at it for a long time, uh, or hear our conversation with Coach Bill Curry from uh, about a month ago, you know, they always talk about the relationships they built with their players, their teammates, and their fellow coaches. And that usually is the thing that sticks out the most to them when they look back on their careers. You know, and again, when you hear Coach Petrie talk about his career, I think it's interesting how often he brings up his players and the relationships he built with those guys. And as a younger coach, it's a good reminder that that is what is going to stand the test of time, way more than the wins and losses. You know, it's going to be how well did I do building relationships with my guys. And, you know, when you do a great job building relationships with your players, that's when you're able to flip a losing culture into a winning one. You create an environment where kids and coaches are performing not out of you know a selfish desire for what they get out of it, but uh, but to, because they don't want to let their their coach down, they don't want to let each other down. And you know the other thing about building these relationships is that I may not necessarily know how well I did building relationships with my guys that I coach for another five, ten, fifteen, even twenty years. Right? I mean, it's going to take some time for my players to to move on to graduate. Uh, go to college or get jobs, start a family, deal with some adversity. And I, I think then uh, we as coaches will be able to see the full-scale impact that we were able to have on the guys we coach. So anyway, I'm starting to preach. So we'll move on. But that was something I picked up from my conversation with Coach Petrie today that I thought was really good. Make sure you give Coach Petrie a follow on Twitter at Coach Petrie DL. That's P-E-T-R-I. Uh, let him know you heard him here on KYPD. And if you're not following our show here at KYPD Podcast, do it. I mean, I don't think you're a legitimate D-line coach until you do, okay? Also, I mentioned at the top of today's show, we we're on pace to have our best month ever for our podcast here. Our audience is growing by the week. So continue to help us grow by giving us a five-star rating and leaving us a review. I promise you, it takes less time to write a review than it does to draw a single run card for your inside period. Okay, our quote of the day is this. For the strength of the wolf is the pack, and the strength of the pack is the wolf. And that will do it for today's episode of KYPD. Join us back next week for episode number 74. Until then, control the controllables, love God, love others, and always remember... Keep the pack, son.